Let me begin with a story about when someone was generous to me, though I wasn't aware of it at the time. So some years ago, my mother talked with me about one of the adults who was a member of the congregation where I grew up, the Universal, Unitarian Universalist Church of Worcester, Massachusetts. Now, this gentleman was one of the Sunday school teachers and the youth advisors when I was in, like, I think, junior and senior high. And I remember him. Uh, he was kind. He was engaging. He had kind of a nice fluffy beard. Um, and his wife uh, was also kind and engaging. It was a pleasure to talk with them uh, whenever possible. And I ended up spending uh, time with this family um, because they also had a young son. Now, let me take a moment to, to clarify a stereotype. There is this stereotype that teenagers make good babysitters. And by very much, many teenagers make a lot of money by babysitting. But let me undo the notion of the stereotype. For whatever reason, I wasn't actually that good at babysitting as a teenager. I didn't even get repeat jobs within the church families. I'm just saying. Just saying. They tried, and it, maybe it didn't work. Okay. But with this family, we seemed to, give, we seemed to hit it off. And I did well enough. I did fine, I think, with them. To watch their little boy uh, a, a number of times, I forget how many, but a number of times. And the gentleman, the member, would come to my house. We, didn't, we lived fairly close to each other. He'd come to my house and pick me up, and then he'd drop me off afterward. And in the car ride each way, we would chat. Uh, he would ask me about my life and my interests, and we'd have a pleasant conversation. And you know, in the course of things, uh, that went along, and it was lovely. And, you know, there was a point at which I graduated from high school, I went off to college, and I don't really have a lot of memory of encountering him much after that. So then years later, maybe 15, 20 years later, a long time, uh, my mother told me more about this man and his choice to be involved with my classes at church and to ask me to babysit. He had had a conversation with her. He shared that he chose to be involved with the youth program because of me. He saw something special in me and wanted to be part of what was supporting me in my emerging life. I had had no idea this was the case. I mean, there were a lot of adults doing great and generous things. I mean, this was great. It needed to happen. But I didn't know that he had a particular motivation. What a quiet gift. What a powerful gift. And I'm still... I'm still kind of in awe of it. As a teen, I was 
somewhat aware of how much I benefited from the networks of family, of church, of teachers at school. I mean, my family was, my family system was healthy enough that I could kind of take support for granted to a certain degree. I could trust it. That love was in the air, was part of the water in which I existed. I knew also about earning recognition because of doing well at school. I mean, I worked toward accomplishment. That's also was in the family system. Like, you got to strive, you got to succeed. That's important. Um, but here, here was a gift I hadn't earned. This man simply saw me and wanted to be part of my life's foundation without expectation of recognition or return. And I remain entirely moved at his choice and his gift. In the cycle of our congregational year, the most obvious times when we talk about generosity and giving are in the spring. When we have our annual campaign and we ask for your financial commitments and we spend a lot, a big chunk of the year, hammering out the budget for the year to come, hoping that the pledges come in and all this. I mean, this has been part of my life for, what, the entirety of my existence around church, so this is, this is a seasonal thing, right? This month's theme is generosity, and I confess I am enjoying the chance to think about why we give of our lives without the undercurrent of the annual budget. It's kind of nice. Our language around giving certainly includes time and skill and mutual support, fixing things around the congregation, and much more. I mean, so much more in addition to money. I am continually amazed by how much quiet giving happens. What we will never, ever know the vastness of connection and network and thought and mutual care that is as much, is far more important and, and really that truly makes things possible. Why and how we give is really so much more than things or dollars in the plate. I recognize that this season, as we're entering into November, is culturally one of our most intense calls to generosity of all kinds. I mean, here's a food drive, here's a coat drive, here's a gift drive, here's a benefit breakfast, um, uh, here's a request for staffing the food pantry, uh, here's a, a request for helping, you know, distribute the gifts, and much more. So maybe taking a moment to consider generosity is a way to get our bearings before the wall of the demands of the holiday giving like cheerfulness comes fully in our face. Wow, it's a lot, right?
I mean, there are real limits to our collective time and individual collective, our individual and our collective time and energy, even when the causes are all excellent. I want to acknowledge the full range of personal and cultural forces, too. It's not simply as, hey, can you give? Oh, yeah, that sounds good. I can do that. It's not that simple, either. There's a full range of personal and cultural encounter that swirls around the value of generosity. Where did you come from personally? What was your family like? Uh, what is your culture, your particular kind of larger culture, your subculture, uh, whether or not it's you know, from this country or another country and so on. And then, of course, we have all the media messages, well, say, uh, that also have such an impact on what we think is important. But I do want to name one particular uh, major influence, because one of them, one of the historic influences in our society right now is actually a Unitarian one. And this was from the British author Charles Dickens. I mean, he was Unitarian. And his most important story that we encounter in this time of year is a Christmas carol, right? And I'm not rushing Christmas, I'm just saying. I'm not bringing it on any faster than it has to come. But it's coming. Um, it has just so happens that this year marks the 180th anniversary of a Christmas carol. It's the same age of the church. How about that? And I'll also offer, as Jesse uh, Laughlin and I were talking, we we're hoping to offer a, uh, a showing of what, would say, what people might say is the best film version of A Christmas Carol, which is the Muppet Christmas Carol. There will be discussion, I'm sure. Charles Dickens encountered and wrote about the terrible deprivations of the poor and the impoverishment in London at the time, and the drastic imbalance uh, of, of economics in that time of well. The haves and the have-nots, the difference was profound. And he tells this story in the time by telling a, talking about a fantastically miserly moneylender who had lost his heart Ebenezer Scrooge, and found it again after being visited by ghosts of Christmas past and present and future. Scrooge has this conversion experience that stays with him for the rest of his life and brings love to all of his relationships, brings generosity into his heart, and he gives it out into the world and amplifies it fabulously. This is one of our kind of notable Western cultural stories, right? Scrooge. And this conversion, this healing of the self and expansion of the self, it amplifies. It amplifies all the giving. It connects not just for one moment of generosity or one particular season, but it amplifies the larger narrative of humankind and how much it is so dear to care for each other, to be engaged with the world, to offer compassion, to live out the best of our humanity in doing so. Now, see, that's one of the cultural messages, and a pretty powerful one. 
but I want to lift up one of the other ones. There's a lot, of course. There's a mix, but I want to lift up one of the other ones that came to my attention this week. Another message is how we expect children to behave themselves if they want gifts from Santa. There's a transactional thing happening here. So I was at the grocery store with my 11-year-old daughter, and when we got home, we found that we had something unexpected in our grocery bags, which was a little handout called the Elf Report. There was a pack of 25 of these and a little elf mailbox. And you're supposed to put the child's name, I bet people, but I think it's implying children, and check off whether or not said child listens to parents, says thank you, was kind to others, completes their homework, goes to bed on time. There's a naughty and nice spot for checking off and a signed and dated. Oh my gosh, people. I mean, it's cute, it's funny, and no, <laughs> no. It's, you know, an elf report form. Oh, gosh. I mean, I know it was meant for fun, but dang, why don't we just reinforce transactional relationships, shall we? Let's not. Let's not. I want to recognize the full complexity about giving of time and talent and treasure. How many of us, again, offer more of ourselves sometimes then is actually healthy, sometimes then we actually is good, that is actually is good for us, how much we also can deplete ourselves at this time of year. I want to recognize that too. And I also want to recognize how much we have genuinely mixed feelings about extending ourselves because of being hurt because of being taken advantage of, whether intentionally or casually. I'm not sure which is worse. Or when we've just been plain ignored. I mean, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, his early life lessons came from valuing money over love by being ignored. This is partially where it's so important for us to talk about generosity whenever possible and to name it as one of our most important values. And I think it is one of our most important values in our society and in our Unitarian Universalism. You know, in Unitarian Universalism, we're living with a new articulation of what we hold at the core of our living tradition. Over the past two years, people, thousands of people, have contributed thousands of comments um, to a new statement of values and purpose and how we conduct ourselves. The previous statement, which is in our denominational bylaws, was enacted in 1985. And that has carried through for us for nearly 40 years. I mean, it's been including my youth and, and into, thoroughly into adulthood. And people really resonate with it. And we've kept a lot of the spirit and a lot of that language. We now have a new statement that really puts love at the center of everything, recognizing that we operate and depend on and have a lot of faith in 
the power of love that is all around us and within us and that we keep, we keep bringing forth into our lives, acting out of care and love. And it's at the core of all of our, the, what we're talking about in terms of our values at this point, interdependence, pluralism, justice, equity, transformation, and generosity. Now, this is partially why we have these themes for this year, beginning this month with generosity. And we talk about the value, how it is important to be living in with a sense of abundance, that we recognize how expansive and wonderful and fabulous our, the entirety of our existence is, and how do we do our best to operate from that, knowing that we have also, as human beings, modeled and practiced hierarchy and segregation and harm and separation and you, we have and you have not and judgment as a result of that in our economic and our emotional systems. We are grounded, grounding our theology from a presence that there is enough in the world and that we are enough. That we, we recognize it is an act of love to recognize how every person is worthy. Every person is full of possibility. Every person can be part of this practice of care and respect. And maybe, and there of course are times when we don't individually don't feel so worthy, don't feel so wonderful, don't feel so connected and fabulous, but maybe with practice, even when you don't feel it, maybe practicing love, practicing being generous and caring can help remind us that there is more and there is enough for us too. We have this practice in so many ways in this congregation, including being generous in ways that sometimes are about ourselves and sometimes are not. Um, as we're talking about in our congregational meeting today, that's part, we're asking the congregation to approve two major areas of focus for the coming year. Um, one being uh, climate action, and one being continuing our work on anti-racism and anti-oppression. And certainly, we commit to taking care of our earth and calling each other to it for our own personal benefit, right? I mean, we're on the planet, we like it. But it's also for those who are gonna come after or those we don't know. And the same is true for anti-oppression, anti-racism and inclusion work. It's certainly for our own benefit because as Dr. King says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? but also for those we don't know, and we will never, ever know. We are aware of the profound social and economic disparities 
and we give collectively in an effort to make all lives better, especially our young people. And I think of this again, as I think of the gift from the gentleman in my church who came was part of my classes and included me in his family's life, that I didn't know the nature of the gift at the time, I'm still pondering the depth of the gift now. I invite us, I invite us in this moment in ways that are both thoughtful about our own capacity and also what we can offer into the world to keep choosing love, to keep choosing to be generous, to do so with an attitude of gratitude and hope. So may it be.